Hey everybody, welcome to Far Out Dudes. It's another week and we got another Far Out conversation for you. I'm one of your hosts, Paul. I'm Joseph. And it's another week for something for us to give to you to listen to. What do you think, Joseph? Uh, I think this one's going to be very interesting. I think this is going to be interesting because if you thought the video of Kevin Ives and Don Henry, the two teenagers that saw a drug um, exchange happen and you believe or what's alleged to be a connection to the Clintons, Mm -hmm. then you'll want to hear the story of Vince Foster. Uh, Yeah, this one's... It's a weird suicide route that he took is uh, all I have to say. Yeah. So his death, like Joseph said, was ruled a suicide. So who was Vince Foster? Vince Foster was, at the time of Bill Clinton's presidency, he was actually the deputy White House counsel. And actually Hillary... And him were actually associates at a law firm in Arkansas before actually uh, before um, Bill became president. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do is um, start you off with some of the the nice reporting of Vincent Foster and what happened. And they knew so they knew each other for a while. Then it wasn't just hey he became president and then they got introduced. They known each other for a little while. Yeah. So when uh. So on a previous video, you we've we stated and showed how Bill Clinton was the governor of Arkansas for a while. Well, at that time, uh, while he was governor of Arkansas, Hillary Clinton and and Vincent Foster were actually associates and friends. And what is possible as well is that they also had uh, extramarital affairs together, Vincent Foster and Hillary Clinton. So. Oh. Or Vincent Foster. Yeah. That's very desperate. So <laughs> probably so Bill Clinton isn't the only one that's uh that's over there having some sexual ex- escapades, you know? it's just an open marriage, you know? They they both had a little bit of fun, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> they were actually just uh a, a just a, a nice, good home country marriage and family back in Arkansas. Oh yeah, they were. Yeah. To say the least. So uh, we want to start off with a with a clip that will kind of give you a little bit of rundown of the Vincent Foster and his uh, suicide. So we want to give you the official reports and then show you a little bit of evidence of how it may have not necessarily been a suicide. How I don't understand how it wouldn't be, but I guess let's let's dig into that a little. Let's bit. dig into it again. So we're going to show you a video, give you a little bit of rundown, and for uh, everyone listening. On the podcast, just audio, it's a pretty clear description. You don't necessarily have to see the video, uh, but if you want to, there'll be, I'll put a link in the, uh, the description below for us. The available evidence points clearly to suicide as the manner of death. That conclusion is based on the evidence gathered and the analyses performed during pre- previous investigations and the additional evidence gathered and analyses performed during the OIC investigation, including the evaluations of Dr. Lee, Dr. Blackburn, Dr. Berman, and the various OIC investigators. So right there we see that uh, it's it's clearly a suicide. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, this guy literally, self it was a self-inflicted wound that led to death. Especially right? uh, in the little drawing there, he's just laying down with his hands to his side. Yeah, it's so nice. I know if I were to shoot myself... I would make sure my hands fall perfectly to yeah. the side and, and straight not and, hold and the gun just straight that, you know, after I shoot my, you know, after I were to do that to myself, uh-huh. I would be holding the gun next to the side of me and yes. not in some weird, yeah. uh, given that you just shot your brains out and you instantly yeah. died. And I, I think it's interesting that you point that out from just watching that thing. Right. And mm-hmm. then you just 
gave yourself a a a, a death blow basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's small splatters and a little bone chip yeah wouldn't you think you would find a little bit more than just no. a little <laughs> no no it's it's obviously a suicide especially with the what what uh caliber was it wasn't it like a uh 38 special or something like that yeah it was a 38 caliber it, it's very very clean shots from those guns yeah. just it goes in mixes the brain up and you instantly die you don't feel anything so here's a, here, here's something interesting about this whole ent- entire situation he was the deputy white house counsel for bill clinton mm-hmm. they've mm-hmm. known each other in the past right mm-hmm. the interesting part about his death the day before he apparently did this to himself yes bill clinton actually fired the uh director of fbi mr sessions uh-huh were you aware of that uh, i was not why would you fire an FBI agent? I don't know. Or the director? Well, mainly because if it was an apparent suicide, and if it looked at any, it would at have all, to be investigated. It would have to be investigated even further, right? Yes. So, what is the best thing to do? Get the head of the FBI to be let go, mm-hmm. so that way he wouldn't look into the situation and incident a little further than um, than anybody else would. Yes. And that's just, <laughs> but he was fired the day before. And so they're just like, by the books, clean. Hey, yesterday, we're not going to look into this anymore. Yeah. It was just suicide, lock and key. The other interesting part is Bill Clinton was actually probably one of the first ones to ever f- fire a director of the FBI. Yeah, for what, did it say what reason? It, it uh, To be honest, I didn't look too far into it because I was just looking more into the Vincent Foster uh, suicide and like what, what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't look into that. Maybe we can make another video or another episode of like showing like more escapades mm-hmm. and more uh, um, the exploits of Bill Clinton. Yeah. Right. Going a little more detail of the whys. So now that we've gotten the official report on mm-hmm. what happened to Vincent Foster, I think it'll be a good idea to see some of the other things that weren't included in these reports. What could not be included? Everything was covered. So the reason I brought up the FBI thing is because with the FBI being out of the out of the whole situation, mm-hmm. good investigators, you mean? Y- yes. <laughs> so who who ended up having to be in charge of of the investigation? Uh, local police. Uh, local police and the park police. Uh-huh. Because Vincent Vincent Foster's body, Mister Foster's body, was found in the park. Uh huh. Okay. And so the initial report. From the park police was this. On the evening of, of, of July 20th, 1993, the park police discovered the body of Vincent Foster in his car. Uh-huh. So that Not was... Not on the ground. That was an official memo sent to the Secret Service, FBI, mm-hmm. and uh, federal agents of the uh, intelligence division mm-hmm. to let them know that the park police actually found his body in the car. Not in the park. Not laying down on a um, on a hill little hillside, yeah. perfectly laid out. Yeah. So that that that's the interesting part that I that I we ended up finding out as well is that his his the initial report from the park police who took over this investigation his body was not found mm-hmm. in the park hillside, which was probably from one of the first people to see him, like see his body and everything. Right. Yeah. It wasn't like oh, this is like. Hours after, after everyone's been notified, and these are like the second or third people to come in contact with them. These are the first people 
to see and find his body, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So these, well, these weren't the, I, I would say not the first ones because there's obviously witnesses, which we'll get to a little bit later. Yeah. So there's actual civilian witnesses who saw a little bit of suspicious activity, mm-hmm. right? But I mean like officials, like yeah. investigators. Uh, yes, the official investigators were mm-hmm. the first ones to come to the scene, and that's where they found his body. Non-civilians. Non-civilians, yes. Let's hear a little bit more what the unofficial reports of what happened to Vincent Foster. And this video, what this video is going to do is actually show you a little bit more evidence and some of the first witnesses uh, to come forward on what happened. On July 20th, 1993, six months to the day after Bill Clinton took office as President of the United States, the White House Deputy Counsel, Vincent Foster, told his secretary, Deborah Gorham, I'll be right back. He then walked out of his office after offering his co-worker, Linda, Linda Tripp, the leftover M&Ms from his lunch tray. That was the last time Vincent Foster was seen alive. Contrary to the White House spin, Vincent Foster's connections to the Clintons was primarily via Hillary rather than Bill. Vincent and Hillary had been partners together at the Rose Law Firm, and allegations of an ongoing affair had persisted from the Little Rock days to the White House itself. Vincent Foster had been struggling with the presidential blind trust. Normally a trivial matter, the trust had been delayed for almost six months, and the U.S. Trustee's Office was beginning to make noises about it. Foster was also the keeper of the files of the Clintons' Arkansas dealings and had indicated in a written memo that Whitewater is a can of worms that you should not open. First off, (laughs) Whitewater is a can of worms that you should not open. Should not open. Do you know what uh, the Whitewater situation was over there in Arkansas? Wasn't it with the drug dealings and whatnot or... No, no, no. This was actually a uh, what they alleged to be a scheme with the the, the Clintons. They actually bought property down uh, like some forestry park area. Mm-hmm. They purchased it with a group of other individuals, and they were basically uh, selling the land to basically the elderly mm-hmm. who ended up kind of uh, foreclosing on their payments and unable to make the payments. And so they would j- basically take over. They would have them sign contracts on like. This is your piece of property. Just keep up with the payments, and at the end of your, uh, like any loan, mm-hmm. at the end of it, you'll get the you'll get the property. Well, they mm-hmm. they were obviously multiple people were unable to keep up with the payments, and the Clintons continued to take over that those properties and just sell them over and over to people, and multiple people just continue to so like predatory lending, basically knowing they couldn't afford uh, afford the payments to keep up with them, they just. It's kind of one of those things, yeah, and and this is just what we know, right? Uh-huh. Um, we don't know what other files that Vincent Foster actually had on him uh, that kind of alluded to even more criminal activity with the Clintons. Uh-huh. Since he's known them for so long. Yes. So Vincent Foster had a relationship with, uh, a friendly relationship with uh, Jerry Parks, who is a, a private investigator. So he was a private investigator for the Clintons, but Jerry Parks was kind of really entrusted with Jerry Parks, and Jerry Parks actually investigated quite thoroughly into the Clinton and the White uh, Whitewater, mm-hmm. and so he actually had quite a bit of files on the Clintons, and so the day or a day or two before um, Foster passed uh-huh. in his um, uh, apparent suicide. Uh-huh. He actually called Jerry Parks in Arkansas and let him know and said and t- told him, "Hey, I'm going to be giving these files to Clint- uh, Hillary Clinton." Uh-huh. And Parks actually told him, "Hey, 
it's a bad idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Hillary is not someone to be missed with. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She can she can definitely do some things that you probably uh, would not uh be happy with and he well, was like giving like, him this big warning like stay away from that because mm-hmm. because he had a lot of files even uh before during and after uh Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas mm-hmm. and all the escapades that have ha- have happened with Bill Clinton along with Hillary Clinton yeah. the whitewater with Bill Clinton, the drug running uh, stuff that was happening. And so he had accumulated all this evidence. Vincent Foster at the Capitol actually had these Mm -hmm. in a locked safe in Uh his office. Uh Aha. Okay. Uh Uh Uh-huh. And so the day before... I read a little bit about that. Yes. About his... uh, (laughs) Some some people going in into his office that uh, the next day, and um, correct me if I'm wrong... But these were just regular kind of employees, but that had lockpicking backgrounds. It's, it gets even more interesting than that. <laughs> Patsy Hall was actually the individual to go into Voster's office. Mm-hmm. She was the deputy assistant to the president and deputy director of presidential personnel. She actually knew the Clintons as well back in Arkansas. Oh, what a surprise. I actually looked up this woman, and she is now an uh, individual. No, no, no. <laughs> She's alive and well. Uh-huh. Okay. She is alive and well. She actually works for um, a group called Ben Ben Barnes Group. Mm-hmm. And so, who are these individual? Who are these people? They're just a few few people. And, and this is this is from their particular website, Ben Barnes Group Crisis Communication Management. Few people ever notice when a crisis is av- avoided. Everyone notices when one is mismanaged, and when troublesome issues become public, the result always is costly. We help clients react to a react to and mitigate crisis. Mm-hmm. We are nimble enough to move quickly and assist with targeted communication and problem resolution. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is an individual. We can make people suicide themselves. We can make people suicide <laughs> themselves and we can twist the truth. Yeah. Right. That's basically uh, what I take from this. Mm-hmm. We can harass people. Mm-hmm. We can send out miscommunication, misinformation, mm-hmm. and we can make this go away. Yeah. We can cover it up real quick. Yes, and she is one of the nice, wonderful friends of the Clintons. Well, so, it sounds like she's been helping them, so no yeah. reason for her to uh, to feel so bad enough to, to kill herself. Exactly. So I want to go back to Vincent Foster and his death. One of the things from the official report is that his body was found on a hill in a park, mm-hmm. laid flat. Yes. In a nice, wonderful position. Yes. Okay. Like someone just dropped him. But. Like somebody just dropped him. <laughs> So let's let's hear from a little bit of the witnesses and some of the EM, EMS uh, people there because they they kind of go into how they found the body, mm-hmm. what what the exit wounds looked like, and what the investigators thought of how this apparent suicide actually looked. Sergeant George Gonzalez, a lead paramedic for the Fairfax County Fire and Rescue was one of the first on the scene after responding to a 911 call. Gonzalez, a 13-year veteran, had previously examined a number of suicide victims with gunshot wounds to the head. He was shocked by the obvious lack of blood at the scene, stating, usually a suicide by gunshot is a mess. His observations were confirmed by many others who were present, including members of the park police. Christopher Ruddy, who at the time was a reporter for the New York Post, had discovered that most of those on the scene that night had never been interviewed, an oversight which he quickly began to correct. 
in January of 1994, I went down and um, met with um, some of the emergency workers and police that were on the scene that night. And I found out that many of them were surprised about the body and the condition of uh, Mr. Foster's body when they found it. Uh, for example, the lead paramedic who was at the scene that night noted that he had never seen a suicide like this, gunshot wound to the head, with so little blood. Gene Wheaton, retired U.S. Special Agent with the Army's Criminal Investigation Division, has more than 35 years experience as a homicide investigator. He spent several weeks in Washington investigating the Foster case. I was hired uh, uh, to specifically go to Washington and make some inquiries into the circumstances surrounding the, uh, the death of White House legal counsel Vincent Foster. It is my professional opinion, and I've been a homicide investigator for 35, 40 years, that uh, the events surrounding the death were treated in such a cavalier and bizarre manner that it had to have been a cover-up. I have uh, never in my career seen a, a gunshot wound into the mouth by a suicide that didn't have a tremendous amount of blowback of blood, brains, and tissue, uh, both in the out of the mouth and the nose, the ears, and the back of the skull at the exit wound. It's a very sloppy, gory sight to see. And when a person fires a 38 caliber revolver, which the, the alleged weapon was, uh, or higher caliber than that, uh, there's a tremendous amount of gases that have no place to go inside the skull cavity, and it just blows everything out. Uh, for them to say that <clears throat> there was a very minor amount of blood at the scene, which, which is what's in the official reports, uh, I've, I find it hard to believe. It, it doesn't make any professional sense. The Fisk report attempts to explain away the lack of blood by stating that the bullet contused the left side of the brain stem, causing instantaneous complete incapacitation including the immediate stopping of the heart and blood flow. Noted California pathologist and gunshot wound expert, Dr. Richard Mason, disagrees, stating, certainly you can have heart activity for a minute or two following brainstem impairment. Page 52 of the Fisk report states, Foster's body was positioned on a steep slope with his head near the top of the berm and his legs extended down the hill. As a result, when his heart stopped beating, gravity permitted the settling of blood into the lower portions of his body rather than out of the wound in his head. This statement contradicts an earlier statement on page 36 where Fisk writes, At approximately 7.40 p.m., Dr. Donald Hout, the Fairfax County medical examiner, arrived at the scene to examine the body. At that point, Foster's body was rolled over, and those present observed a large pool of blood located on the ground where Foster's head had been. Dr. Hout, who was never interviewed by Fisk, vehemently denies seeing a large pool of blood on the ground. EMS technician Corey Ashford, who placed Foster's remains into a body bag, re-emphasized the lack of blood by stating he couldn't even see an exit wound. This statement led to initial reports that there was no exit wound. 
the person that put Foster's body in a body bag later that night, an EMS worker, said that he didn't even have to use rubber gloves. He didn't remember even seeing an exit wound out of the back of Foster's head. And he didn't even have to wash his hands after doing this task. This important testimony, which further reinforced the lack of blood at the scene, was omitted from the report. So why would they have to remit all of that <laughs> from the report? Well, from EMS workers and everything. Yeah. Well, from the the official report, right? What did we hear? He was uh, he was found on a hill, uh-huh. which later we just were we we're going to show our viewers and our listeners. If if you're on Spotify, go to YouTube. We're going to actually show one, the official the um, the memo the Park Police sent over to the FBI to show them that this the, that he was initially found in his mm. car. Uh-huh. The interesting part is there's just so many inconsistencies with the official report versus versus eyewitnesses and people who actually did it eyewitnesses and, and other reports and first off real quick I've, I've got a few things i want to go over george who went to go investigate was like i've seen uh suicides before there should be a lot more blood yeah with people who are shooting themselves in the head exactly Especially a lead paramedic saying that it and just it doesn't make any sense. Not only that, there's not a lot of blood, but he falls so perfectly on a hill. Yes, with his body position in such a such a perfect position. Uh-huh. But one of the other things that I looked that I found while researching this, think about that you that this individual, and this is what I, that I thought was interesting too. He supposedly stuck a thirty eight caliber. Mm-hmm. Revolver in his mouth. Yes. Shot himself. Uh-huh. The report also doesn't indicate that there was any damage to the mouth. Just imagine, like, for... I, I shoot guns. Uh-huh. Okay? A thirty eight special, a thirty eight caliber uh, revolver, those things have... They have pretty good recoil onto them. Yeah. So... And I assume there's a lot of hot gases coming out of that exact <laughs> caliber, too. Yeah. So no damage to the internal portions of his mouth. Mm-hmm. No, nothing found in his mouth to say that this was that he shot himself and stuck the barrel in his mouth. Uh-huh. Okay, because you think about a revolver, it also has that nice little front sight on it. Yeah. So no kickback from like exactly his tooth no chip or no chip tooth, no scratching of his mouth, nothing. And one thing that uh, intrigued me right there too was the no blowback. Yeah. And it was it just doesn't make any sense to me. And their <laughs> reports to counteract that was like, oh, the the bullet goes and yeah. twists around and mangles things around, so you're not going to have it. I'm just like, what? What about the giant? Like the bullet just hit the brain and then just stopped. Yeah, and a bunch of the gases and everything, nothing happened. So what that tells me is that he got he didn't only get shot from the front of his face, uh huh, but he shot somebody shot him in the back of the head as well. Yeah, no joke. So they, if he shot himself, there was like hardly any blood on the ground. There was, you remember the official report? Mm-hmm. Speckles. Yes. I don't know. If somebody shot in themselves in, in the, the head, head, there wouldn't be just speckles on the ground. Yeah. The reason being, okay, the reason being that they said the counteract is because his body was on an incline. So yeah. when he shot, everything just kind of pulled to the bottom <laughs> of his body. They don't worry about it. And- so what happens to people who unfortunately decide to do that who are sitting down? Yeah. They're just <laughs> So here's the thing. I mean a suicide ever. I've I've been told of people's suicides. Uh-huh. Whether it be with a shotgun or with a gun. 
Mm-hmm. There is a lot of blood everywhere yes. when people put barrels into their mouths. Well, there's <laughs> there's a lot of blood. There's you're telling me there's like hardly any blood in your brain. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean we, even with people getting shot, there's blood splattered. Even if yeah. they're not shooting themselves, if somebody shoots them, there's going to be blood splatters more. I mean, a lot more than just little speckles. speckles. And that's if someone gets shot not in like an artery or anything. Yeah. So. It just <laughs> it blows your mind. And, and and for the commenters out there, I'm not laughing because it's it's a funny thing. I'm laughing at the absurdity of these of just how crazy of how crazy this stuff just is able to elude everyone in the public because it's the, official. The normal person out there, middle class America, does not pay attention to these things and does not is not aware of all of these things behind the scenes that are going on, even when they're reported. Mm-hmm. Because most of the time they pay attention to the normal uh, reports and final official reports that come out. Uh-huh. And they're not privy to the other unofficial reports and other things that yeah. have been told about it. I mean, you literally have an EMS worker that have newspaper articles quoting this individual mm-hmm. to say that they've never seen a suicide. Well, or I'm sorry, uh, just because it might be uh, YouTube and not let us use the word suicide. Mm-hmm. They've never seen a self-inflicted wound that didn't have as much blood coming out. Well, it's not only that. It's everyone who came in contact with him that's not on, like, that doesn't have an FBI or some kind of tag uh, underneath them. Every single one of them were like, "There's where's all the blood? Where's all the batter? Where's, like, the blowback? Where's anything from, yeah. like, a thirty-eight caliber bullet? Entering the mouth. All the investigators there, all the other witnesses, including the unfortunate job of the EMS workers who have to actually pick this body up and bag it and take it to the coroners to say that this doesn't look like what it is. Yeah. So already we have we have the park police saying that the body wasn't originally found on the hill. Uh-huh. We have investigators saying this doesn't look right. Yeah. Even a cover up. And then we have reports of yeah investigators saying that this is a cover-up ems workers investigators saying it just doesn't sit right with them that there's no blood and that there there was no exit wound if you're to go ask anyone to hey what kind of area whether it be outside a room how do you think someone's head or the surrounding areas would be if they were to shoot themselves how would their body land (laughs) yeah in a perfect, perfect, perfect position, land, as though they land perfectly like that, as as though they were standing at attention. That's how his body was found on the ground. But just so much inconsistencies with the official report. Mm-hmm. But it's there's it's inconsistent with the other reports because they omitted it from the report. They didn't include those in yeah. the actual official report. Well, it, it because it up- doesn't fit in with what they wanted. But what about the actual witnesses? What about the mm-hmm. people that were that? Probably who found called him. who found yeah. him who called. What what do they say? They probably say, Oh, it was a suicide? I thought someone killed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> Man, that from what, what I saw, that is not what happened, but okay. <laughs> that official report from the FBI. Yeah, well, you, you know, what are you gonna it. do? Let's hear from the witnesses. Patrick, uh, why don't you begin with the day you drove into uh, Fort Marcy Park? 
Well, uh, for the listening audience, uh, we are talking about the Vince Foster case, and I was a Whitewater grand jury witness, Howard, as you know. Um, I drove into Fort Marshall Park uh, on July 20th, 1993. Um, what I saw in the park uh, was two cars. I later uh, that evening, after finding out Mr. Foster was dead, I called the, uh, the park police, and I told the park police I'd seen these two cars in the parking lot. One car was an old rust brown car with Arkansas license plates, and the other car was a, a light blue, metallic blue car with a, with a gentleman, a man in, in the car. Um, that was the end of that. I never <coughs> heard from the park police again. I never followed the Foster case. I had no idea that, you know, I heard a guy who committed suicide, and I figured that was it. What I saw in the park, this guy acting very suspicious in the blue car, um, which, you know, made me aware of my surroundings. Um, after, um, like I guess after I called the park police, that was it. It wasn't until nine months later, and, and John may have to intervene here because I get the dates mixed up sometimes, but uh, nine months later I was contacted by the uh, FBI. FBI took over the uh, investigation with, with the uh, Fisk uh, investigation. And Fisk was Ken Starr's predecessor that's as independent counsel. That's correct. I was called by them. I was brought into their office. I was interviewed. I was interviewed by uh, Larry Monroe and, and uh, William Columbell, two FBI agents who were assigned to Fisk. As I recall your story, your account, uh, to put it bluntly, you drove into the park to heed the call of nature. That, that's true. That's true. And um, you saw a very uh, ominous, threatening kind of fellow there that's who was correct. looking at you uh, in a threatening way. Yeah, he, he, that's what I say. My awareness was uh, was brought to its height because this guy made me nervous at first and uh, so I was you know paying close attention to him there was only two cars in the parking lot in mine so I had a, I remembered very well what you were I there saw. at a time that was inconvenient for him it would seem I think so I was there at 430 they found mr. Foster's body at, it, his body was found at quarter to six so about, I was there about 70 minutes for the discovery of the body um, as I was saying the FBI then interviewed me um, mr. William uh, uh, William Collinbell and Larry Monroe and they wanted to talk about the car that I saw. They were very concerned about this, this vehicle that I saw. And I, like I say, I saw an older Russ Brown Honda. Um, Mr. Uh, Monroe showed me these various photographs of a Honda, that, uh, pictures of a Honda that was taken in the parking lot at the U.S. Park Police headquarters. Not in the park itself, but in the U.S. Park Police headquarters where they had allegedly parked the car after towing it from Fort Marcy Park. I looked at the pictures. I told Mr. Monroe and Mr. Colombo that it wasn't the car I saw in the park. So in other words, the park police had obtained Vince Foster's real car. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. The it, was, it was Vince Foster's car that they had. I still don't know if it was Vince Foster's car that I saw. I, mean, well, I have no idea. No, they, I, they represented that what they had was Vince Foster's car. Right. But the car that you saw looked very different, totally different. than what they said was Vince Foster's exactly. car. And they were upset that your story didn't fit their story. That's true. And um, so when I got ready to leave uh, after this two-and-a-half-hour <coughs> FBI interview, um, the Mr. Monroe, Agent Monroe, said to me, "Don't go to the press with this story about the car. It's not good for the Fosters or the President or something to that effect." Um, and I just said, "You know, I didn't plan on it. I never thought about going to the press about anything." I, so the FBI told you to keep quiet. Keep quiet, exactly. So I did keep quiet. And about three weeks later, or two weeks later, three weeks later, they called me back in for another interview, and this time they wanted to make sure that I was really sure about the car I saw, this rust brown, you know, color like your table, your desk here. Um, again, he showed me um, some pictures. He read me some interviews of the park police who had said they, they saw a, brown, a grayish brown car. And I kept saying, well, the car that I saw was older than the pictures you're showing me. It's a totally different color. Went over to the FBI laboratory. That's where um, Mr. Uh, uh, Frederick Whitehurst had been demoted from bomb expert to a paint expert. 
um, and Mr. Uh, Whitehurst was in the laboratory. He took me to the paint panel section. I pulled out the panels uh, that fit the color of the car that I saw in Fort Marcy Park, and they fit an 83 or an 84 Honda Accord. Um, and Mr. Foster's car, of course, was an 89 Honda. Silver color. Silver. Uh, so in my FBI reports, after I was, uh, again, I was contracted by Ambrose Evans Pritchard. Um, now, who is uh, Mr. Pritchard? I know who he is, but you tell Mr. us. Mr. Pritchard is a, uh, he was the London bureau chief here in Washington, D.C. for the London Sunday Telegraph. Um, he, he was, was a, a reputable journalist from uh, the United Kingdom. I, that's right, absolutely. And uh, he um, brought me into his office. He showed me his uh what he had re uh, obtained, or somebody obtained these, these files from the FBI, the 302s, their statements that they type up after they take notes of your, of your interview. And I started reading the interview, and the first thing that caught my eye was they said that I saw an 88 to a 90 Honda Accord. So this is important. The FBI, in their official version, changed your testimony absolutely without your knowledge or permission. Absolutely. I had, I had no idea what they, they had changed my story. Actually, then they said that the guy that was in the park at the time I was being interviewed, they said, could you recognize this guy? And I said, well, if you show me a lineup or a photo spread, I could pick the guy out with no problem. Well, in the report, they said I couldn't identify the guy now or any time in the future, which was another uh, fabrication. Um, and there was many other things all the way through. It was just so there was hostility toward you on the part of the people interviewing you? Yeah, there was hostility when I was being interviewed, but, I mean, I just thought it was the nature of the job, and I was nervous anyways. I'd never been called in to be interviewed by the FBI or any agency, for that matter. <clears throat> Excuse me, so... Did the Park Police ever interview no, you? No, Park Police never called. I mean, I, I, I initiated the call myself, so... Who was the first journalist to talk to you? Was it Pritchard or someone yeah, else? Yeah, Pritchard was the first. And what was Pritchard's message? Did, was he skeptical of you at the beginning? Yeah, because when I started telling him, we met at a coffee shop, I started telling him the story, and he asked me if I was lying, and I said lying, what, what would I be lying about? So that's when I went back to his office, he showed me the reports, and that's when I started saying, well, the FBI's lying. I mean, so in other words, he, he had reason to think you were lying because everybody thinks the FBI always tells the truth, well, I did. and their story was different than yours. Right. About what you had said. Right, had exactly. So, um, and you, but you won this journalist's confidence, yes, and he figured out that you were telling the truth, and the government of the United States was telling the, the lies. That's right. The FBI was definitely... Um, misrepresented what I said completely. They, they lied. I mean, they, they lied about what I said. Wow, I'm surprised the FBI lied, guys. I I had full faith in the FBI yeah. up until right now. Maybe I'm going to start doubting them. And just, uh, just to promote our previous video that we did on the FBI, the Cointel Pro, if you haven't seen that, uh -huh. uh, go back to one of our previous episodes of how we talk about the FBI and what they've done throughout the past, past to uh, discredit and um, calls mayhem in the United States on purpose. On and, purpose yeah. So he called the park police first to go in there. So they go in there first, take all their notes, which, um, you know, we were looking at before. You know, man in a blue car, all that normal stuff that, you know, he sticks a story to. But he doesn't hear from anyone after this for nine months. Nine months. Nine months. A high-ranking person from the federal government, he finds them, finds him dead. Yeah. And he doesn't hear from anyone for nine months. Well, I... <laughs> I'm a little suspicious of this guy anyway because he just decided to go into the park and, like, take a piss. And he just so happens to see, like, suspicious see things, that. right? Uh -huh. And and see and decide to go tell the police 
about everything that's going on. So uh-huh. it kind of at the same time, I think he's a he, he may be a credible witness, uh-huh. but I think his whole situation and how he ended up in that area at the time of this particular um, event seems a little suspicious to me. However, I don't take away from the fact that the FBI probably lied about the whole situation, uh-huh. right? And, you know, it, it it builds confidence in someone when you get interviewed by the FBI and they're like, hey, don't go to the press about this. <laughs> it wouldn't look good for anybody. Uh, don't go to the press about the guy killing himself and stuff not being wrong. I mean, uh, stuff being all wrong. Yeah. And the fact that the FBI, I mean, you, you can always trust individuals when they say, don't go tell anybody about this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can understand that if they're like, hey, it's a, a homicide investigation. Yeah. But a suicide? Like, why not go? Like, who who could get hurt from yeah. me saying the information about this stuff? Yeah. I mean, if it was, a say, a homicide and you didn't want information to get out about the investigation, I can understand that. Yes. So seems like FBI was treating it more like a... A homicide. <laughs> I, I think so, and I think they wanted to make sure that it wasn't. It didn't come out to be um, a homicide, and so they changed up all of his his accounts of the yeah. uh, incident. And so, which brings me to the murder weapon. Uh-huh. Uh, sorry, the self inflicted weapon. Yes, that yes. Mr. Foster had. Okay, allegedly. Allegedly. Okay, and so what? What was the murder weapon? It was said to have uh, been. Uh, Self-inflicted oh, sorry. gunshot wound weapon. The self-inflicted weapon mm-hmm. was known to be a thirty-eight caliber weapon, uh-huh. a revolver. Yes, for most of the for most people out there who don't know weapons. Let's look into that. Let's look into mm-hmm. what the weapon was and how that was reported. How it was also brought to Vincent Foster's wife. Okay. Oh, that sounds odd, but okay. Yeah, for her to identify. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what do we know about the murder weapon? Or it, sorry, self inflicted gunshot gunshot wound weapon, sir. Weapon. weapon yes, <laughs> the weapon that was used to self inflict a death blow wound to itself. Yes, yes. that is the longest description <laughs> of it. But yes, the photo that was taken, the weapon was black. It was a thirty-eight special black revolver yeah. that he held in his hand. The picture okay. we're looking at right now, his hand is just like hovering over it, which is odd from being self-inflicted, but all right. a black, The black thirty-eight, I see it clearly. Yeah. And so when the FBI was actually interviewing Vincent Foster's wife and having her identify the weapon, what they showed her was a silver thirty-eight special revolver. Not the black one. Not the black one. To and identify so, it, right? To identify, hey, is this your husband's weapon? Yeah. Does this belong to Mr. The actual Foster? actual weapon. Yes. They were actually showing his weapon to her, uh-huh. which was a silver thirty-eight special. In the picture that of evidence, mm-hmm. there is a black thirty-eight special yeah. revolver. Yeah. And even the FBI pro, uh, reports, they keep mentioning a silver yes. gun. Yes. <laughs> they they mention silver constantly, but uh, yeah. but the actual evidence and picture that they show is actually of a black revolver. Yes, so it, it it's very question, uh, very interesting that it just the whole thing just doesn't make any sense. the The official report stated it belonged to Foster, or tend to show that it belonged to Foster. Oh, that's where that's where they get away with it. It tends to show, yes, like giving them a, a, a way out. Yeah, a there, there, there goes their uh, backdoor exit. 
right yeah. there on that one if anything were to come out. And all they're going to quote is, she said, yes, that's his gun. She identified his gun. The other thing is that the bullet that was used was never found. No shell casings or anything. Nothing was found around him. Uh-huh. Nothing was in the well, as area. A re- as a revolver, there wouldn't be a, a shell casing that just falls out, right? That's true, but the, the, the casing itself... Wasn't was missing. There. It was yeah. A, they didn't yeah. have it, so there was nothing there. So if there's which, one thing, which is do, odd, especially now that I think about it, for the bullet casing, because it, sh- it should have been in still. There. Be, it should still be in the gun. Yeah, yeah. Right. So if if that's what he actually did to himself, then you would have that to show everything that, should be there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So why why isn't any of that information in the official report? What I want to mention is whoever handled this, they did a very sloppy job. <laughs> there were I don't know if it was too many cooks in the kitchen or what was going on, but there are so many just bad information and conflicting information. Well, it's he, just like uh, you would assume from the FBI if they're going to allegedly murder someone that they get have their stuff right. Yeah. <laughs> like have things in order. The other thing is the other uh, evidence that they bring up is that his feet had no dirt on him from someone and, walking into a park. <laughs> yes, and all the investigators that walked up to his body and were investigating on them. all of them had dirt piled up on and stuck onto their soles. Yeah, he had no dirt on his soles. Nothing, as if I don't know. What did he just float into the <laughs> spot? It's like someone just maybe floated there or maybe placed him there well at least they got that right they just kind of covered their tracks but they did it a little too good to where there's just steps for him (laughs) (laughs) where where was vincent foster with all of the security that happens in the white house there was no video footage no log information about him ever leaving the white house so there was evidence of him coming into the building, mm-hmm. but no video footage or logs of him leaving because obviously you have to log in and out and there's there should be video surveillance and things like that. None of, none of which what? is available or on the official report of how he left the building. So when did this actually happen? Where did it happen? Why, why do you want all the information? What is why, the why guy you wanna... just walked out and just, you know, self-inflicted gunshot wound yeah. himself. So here's some more interesting information. After his death, there was... That was reported as a suicide. Uh-huh. No suicide note was found. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> Until multiple days later. Yeah. When it was when it was weird that someone like that wouldn't leave a suicide note. Yeah. And then <laughs> what I what I've read into a little bit is that there's none of his fingerprints anywhere on that suicide letter. Not only that is that they actually looked into his briefcase mm-hmm. prior. And found didn't find it. Didn't find anything. Uh huh. And that's exactly later. where they found his suicide note. Days later. Days later. Then it was reported, and there's an actual article in 1996 that states Hillary Clinton's fingerprints among those found on papers. Well, they were friends and possibly traded notes. So yeah. she was like, "Hey, have these blank pieces of paper in your in your briefcase hidden somewhere good, please." Yeah. And he was like, sure, I'll, I'll I'll take those blank pieces of paper and put them in my briefcase. Yeah. So her fingerprints were on that, but also in the article, just to, I'm just reading off an article that's uh-huh. actually from that time. From there what, was a uh, CNN were, time. Yes. So there was a memo linked that linked the first lady at the time, which was Hillary Clinton, to handling of the suicide note. Why would she have her fingerprints 
Why, Why would she, she be handling yeah, a suicide note? At all. The current first lady. Yes. At the time. Maybe she wanted to see what her alleged friend wrote. He was depressed, unhappy. His job was so stressful uh-huh. that he made it that far all the way to the White House and decided, you know what? This is the end for me. So the suicide note was sent for authentication that he Foster wrote it. Uh-huh. What they found is that it was not his handwriting. His handwriting. There was very there. There was what? a lot of inconsistencies the, with the letter. The note they found in his briefcase two days, three days later, after already searching it, wasn't his handwriting. Was it was not? That's actually pretty crazy. Now I'm starting to wonder. Hey, did this guy actually self gunshot <laughs> self and whatever the term is? So for all of our listeners, for all of our viewers, let us know what uh, what you think about that. Comment, like, subscribe. Uh, I want to point out real quick, uh, we do cut this down quite a bit for YouTube. So if you want to hear a little more uh, raw, I guess, podcasts, uh, we're everywhere on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. So if you want to hear a longer, more raw version of it, uh, feel free to search us up, Far Out Dudes. So like, subscribe, share with your friends, listen us. Listen to us on Rumble, YouTube, Spotify, and anywhere you can find podcasts. And don't forget, if you have a subject or story you want us to look into, just uh, leave a comment or send us an email about it. This is the end.